0: Can we? Now, a couple of quick announcements before we do this. And and by the way, uh, is Jeff in here? Jeff is probably not in here. We do have the materials. If you don't have them now, too bad, because we're starting right now. I don't think you'd have time to run and get it, but you can get them when you leave, because we got the notebook, we got notes, and I want you to have in your hand. when we finish this series, really, it'll be a little book on Romans, and it'll be yours for the keeping and yours to go back to. Romans is an incredible book, and I'm looking so forward to getting into it. Now, there's no finding the rock, right? Brendan, where are you? I'm looking for Brendan. I just want to see if he came to church when he wasn't teaching. He's not here. Somebody tell him I said that. I'm sure he's working. He's he's actually a cop and uh, teaches for us, and he's doing a great job. And so we appreciate Brendan. But now I was with my friend Tom Dooley today, and uh, talking to him and Melanie, and um, he is in a fight for his life. And they said we want to come to church really bad. And I said, "Well, come." And they and I they said, "Well, but he can't talk to a lot of people. So here's what I, I, I said: I'll talk to our folks. What we're going to do is make a little." cubby hole for him over here because he's in a wheelchair and uh, he'll come in and what I'm asking is that he not be deluged with people just from a distance say hey but he can't talk a whole lot but he said we need the word and we need to worship so I told him he's of course I said everybody will be thrilled to see you and uh, you're welcome to come I'm his pastor I'm their pastor and um they want to come to church so he's coming i don't know if it'll be this sunday but he'll come pretty quick so i'm just letting you know so let's stand together can we and melanie too melanie's exhausted our prayers are going up for them and and um us and thousands of others so all right if you have your bible let's hold it up for a minute Now, this is the Word of God. Why are we in the Word of God? Because faith comes by hearing the Word of God. And man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I want to know, are you hungry tonight? All right, we're going to get right into the book of Romans, and uh, let's let's begin. And I'm going to pray with you, and then you can be seated. Father, we just thank you that there is light that comes from your Word. Lord, you sent your Word and healed them. And Lord, you said that your Bible, your word is light. It gives understanding to the simple. It's right rejoicing the heart. It's like honey to our spiritual taste. And so Lord, we ask you to establish our faith, increase our understanding of the Christian faith and of our walk with God, open our eyes and give us understanding, open our hearts and help us to grasp what is the breadth and width and height and depth of the word of God, Lord, help us to understand this uh, incredible letter penned by Paul, but inspired by the Holy Spirit, that we would know and understand the faith that we are walking in. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Now, can you breathe a prayer and say, Lord Jesus, speak to my heart. I receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save my soul. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. You can be seated. Thank you. And let's get into the book of Romans now. And as always, I want to give you a little introduction. Now I have, I'm not meaning to make myself self-conscious here, but I have two Tic Tacs in my mouth. I'm going to tell you a quick story. One time I was preaching. This is the truth. I had two Tic Tacs in my mouth. I have two Tic Tac stories. The first one, I was talking along, and I, had, and I moved it wrong in my mouth, and it shot out like a BB. Now, let me show you how in the spirit I was. I caught it right there. Caught it in midair. Everybody went, ooh. That's the first Tic Tac story. You want to hear the second one? The second one was bad. I had a Tic Tac, and I said something wrong, breathed wrong, and I swallowed it and I couldn't get a wisp of air. I thought, I'm about to have a terrible scene in front of a thousand people. This is really going to be bad. The preacher is going to start choking and coughing and hacking, and somebody's going to have to run up and give me the, that maneuver, Heimlich. I came down off the stage, unable to get air. And right when I thought it was going to get bad, now here's what they were all thinking. They were thinking I was having a vision. And they were, they were doing this, ooh, speak to him, Lord. They didn't know I was about to die. And so that, this is really true. And so I started, I was going to head towards the back. And right then, God gave me grace, and I swallowed that thing whole. And so I let the myth remain that I was just having a moment with the Holy Spirit. That's my 2 tic tac story. Now, what does that have to do with Romans? Nothing. But I just want, since I, because I almost did it again just now, and it made me want to tell the stories. But now let's look at this. Most believe that Paul's letter to the Romans to be the zenith of his writings. Now understand, all Scripture is inspired by God, and it's without error in the original text. But Romans stands as the mountaintop of Christian theology, and one of the most important documents in the whole history of the world, not just the Christian faith. While at Corinth, Paul heard that a woman named Phoebe, an active member of the church at nearby Sancria, was planning a visit to the city of Rome. Now, this isn't in the Bible, but this had to have been what happened. I'll write you a letter of commendation to the saints at Rome, Phoebe, he said. Well, since you're going to Rome, let me send a letter with you. And he did. The Christian skeptic, Renan, is credited with saying that when Phoebe sailed away from Corinth, she, quote, carried beneath the folds of her robe the whole future of Christian theology. And you know what? That skeptic was right. Nothing explains Christian faith, Christian theology, what you and I are walking in like Romans, not anything. The book of Romans can be broken down like this, real simple. Here's the purpose of it. To express the nature of the gospel. Uh the relation, its relation to the Old Testament and to Jewish law and its transforming power. That is the transforming power of the gospel. You'll hear Paul over and over again in Romans calling it my gospel. This is my gospel. I mean, he owned the gospel of Jesus Christ. What is the major doctrine of Romans? It's salvation. What is the key passage? If you want to look them up, I didn't quote them, but it's Romans 3, 21 to 26, those are the key passages. Now, there is so much you could say about the influence of the letter. The influence of Romans has been vast, okay? But one example, here's one. Martin Luther in 1515, early in the 16th century, when he was preparing lectures on Romans, he was going to lecture on Romans when he wasn't even saved. He felt himself, as he was studying Romans, to be reborn. Something leaped out of him, out of him through Romans. And really, I know what it was. It was the just shall live by his faith. And that hit Martin Luther right between the eyes. And he had been taught, raised in the Catholic Church of that day, he had been taught that it was by works, that you were not justified by faith alone, but it had to be by works. But this verse leaped out at him. The just shall live by his faith. And that one verse, that one quote, turned Europe upside down. The entire Protestant Reformation sprang from Luther's experience with Romans, and we are beneficiaries of that Protestant Reformation. If it hadn't happened, we'd all be Catholico, Catholic. But we're not. Because the Protestant Reformation happened fueled by his revelations of the just living by faith out of the book of Romans the just does not live or is not declared righteous by works but by faith now here's the major themes in Romans I just put them in some well I didn't my secretary did in some boxes here for you but here's the themes and I'm just gonna go left to right the wrath of God is a theme and we're gonna look at the wrath of God tonight and then the righteousness from God so important that we understand this if you want to live a life free from condemnation all right then we're going to look at abraham a man of faith how was he declared righteous then jumping down the benefits of believing there are benefits next one does justification by faith promote sin we call that greasy grace well since i'm forgiven i can just go live the way i want to isn't that true no, I'll, I'll tell you what we believe about that when we get to it. You're going to have to be here to hear it. Then we're going to look at life in the Spirit, walking in the Spirit. Then down to the next box, the triumph of believing. Then next, what about the Jews? What's going to happen to the Jewish people? What is their fate? What about the, the ones who gave us the Word of God and gave us the vast majority of this Bible? And then practical Christianity. He goes, in the book of Romans comes down to very practical Christian living. As a matter of fact, Romans 16 is one of my favorite final chapters of any letter in the New Testament. It's so incredibly practical. And then finally, the obligations of love. The obligations of love. So these are the major themes in Romans. Now here we go to the salutation. Chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Let's read it together, can we? Paul "...a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures." Regarding who? His Son, who, as to his human nature, was a descendant of David. What was his lineage through Mary? He was a descendant of David." and who, through the spirit of holiness he was declared with power to be the son of god how when he got up from the dead jesus christ our lord when he got up from the dead it affirmed everything he ever said it affirmed that he was totally unique in the history of the world muhammad didn't get up from the dead buddha didn't get up from the dead nor did confucius nor did any other world religious leader no one did but jesus and it affirmed everything he ever said or claimed all right now it says in verse five through him and for his namesake we receive grace and apostleship to call people from among all the gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith and you also are among those who are called to belong to jesus christ verse seven to all in rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Did you know the Bible calls you a saint? That's why I don't believe in sainting anybody. Saint whatever, Saint Dominican, Saint this, Saint that. Listen, every one of you are saints. He's declared to all of you, every child of God is a saint. So I know you've probably never said this, but say with me, I am a saint <laughs> through the blood of Jesus Christ. Isn't that powerful? Saint George, Saint David, Saint Carl, Saint Pat. We don't feel like saints do we but we are. Now Paul identifies himself in three different ways. Real important. The first way he identifies himself is he was a servant of Jesus Christ. The Greek word is doulos, and it means slave. I am a slave of Jesus Christ, and I'm happy to admit it. Now, in his day, slavery was legal, and slavery was practiced. And so he did not shrink from calling himself, you would use the word doulos for a natural slave. He said, I am a slave. I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. He doesn't serve me. I serve him. And when he says, go, I go. And when he says, come, I come. When he says, do this, I do it. Because I am his slave. And folks, every one of us ought to be the loss of Jesus Christ. The slaves. The servants of Jesus. He belonged without reserve to the one who confronted him on the Damascus road. When he looked up and said, what do you want me to do, Lord? And that was the beginning of his servanthood to Jesus Christ. Second, He was called to be an apostle, apostolos, a sent one, a messenger. Paul did not choose. He was chosen. He was picked, and so were you. You didn't choose Jesus. You say, yes, I did. I came under conviction, and I found the Lord, and I got saved. You didn't find the Lord. The Lord found you. And you didn't pick him. He picked you. You say that 's not true, yes, it is Jesus said you didn't choose I, I, you didn 't choose me, but I chose you in John fifteen that you would go and bring forth fruit and your fruit should remain. so the day you got saved he 'd been dealing with you for a very long time, and he reeled you in, convicted you of sin, and chose you now if you 're chosen there 's got to be a reason for it, and it 's not just heaven he 's got a destiny, a purpose, a design, a reason. For you to be here on this earth right now you have been chosen paul said i was called to be an apostle and the third thing he had been set apart that's sanctified he was set apart by god to serve in the interests of the gospel so have you been so have i been we've all been sanctified set apart by him that's the difference between paper plates and china When the kids are going to sit around and watch cartoons Saturday morning and eat hot dogs, you don't go to the cabinet china and get out your china and give it to them, do you? That china is saved for a special occasion and special usage. You're not a paper plate. You're china. You're set apart for a special purpose, and that purpose is the work of the kingdom. Now his purpose in writing, he tells us in verses 2 through 6, it was to establish his apostolic authority. It was always under attack. He believed along with the prophets that Christ Jesus had been the fulfillment of God's promise in the Old Testament to send a Redeemer. And those of you that went through Genesis with us, you remember Genesis 3.15, the John 3.16 in the Old Testament where the Redeemer was promised that would bruise the the devil's head. Well, uh, Paul believed this fully that Jesus was the prophesied Redeemer. He offers in verses 3 through 4 two affirmations regarding Jesus. Here they are. The first one, with respect to his fleshly existence or incarnation, he was descended from David. And with respect to his present status, as we already mentioned, he was son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. So that's how Paul knew him. He didn't know him as a good teacher, uh, uh, an inspiring personality. He knew him as the Redeemer, the Messiah, resurrected from the dead by the power of God. That's how he knew him. Now he, he loves the words grace and peace. In most of his salutations he uses them. The dual words grace and peace that he uses in the salutation combine a christianized form of the greek and hebrew greetings here's what i mean by that real peace comes only as a result of the grace of god you'll never see him saying peace and grace be to you it's always grace and peace because you don't have peace without grace All right, one follows the other so you'll hear him saying grace and peace, grace and peace, grace and peace and when you receive the grace of God, you receive the peace of God. Without grace, my friends, there is no peace. There's no peace from God without responding to his grace. Now, what gets me is he had for a long time wanted to visit Rome. Here goes Phoebe. She's going off to Rome. Man, I've wanted to visit them. Here, take this letter anyway. And he says in verse 8, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. You become the talk of the town. Now isn't it good to see that they weren't known by scandal. They were known by their faith. Amen? Can you say with me every church has a testimony. Every church is known for something. Some churches are known for their buildings. Some churches are known for whatever. Whatever they emphasize. But he says your faith is being sounded out, reported all over the known world. Praise God. Now, God, he says, whom I serve with my whole heart in preaching the gospel of his Son, is my witness. How constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. Do you notice how Paul always felt that the eye of God was watching him? He said, God is my witness. He knows how I'm praying or how I'm not praying. You know what the fear of the Lord is? It is the continual awareness that God knows about every one of my thoughts, my words, my actions, and my attitudes. That's the fear of the Lord. The continual awareness that God knows about every one of my thoughts, my actions, my words, and my attitudes. He knows. Paul says, let God tell you. It's true. I've been praying for you, and I pray that now at last by God's will the way may be open for me to come to you. I pray that God gets me to you in person. But until then, I'm writing you a love note. Okay? He says in verse 11, I long to see you. Now notice why he wanted to see them. So that I may impart to you a spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. When Paul showed up, he laid hands on people and they received gifts. Wow. He said, I want to come to you and give you a spiritual gift. This is the same man who would pray over handkerchiefs and send them out, and a sick person would grab hold of it and be healed. And he didn't charge for them. He didn't say, by the way, send me whatever God makes you sensitive to. He said, No, freely I have received. I'm freely giving. I'm praying over this thing. Since I can't come to you, let the anointing that's on me come to you. And he would send it in a handkerchief. And they would take hold, and demons would come out when they took hold of a handkerchief that he had prayed over. Which tells me something about the anointing and the power of God. It is a tangible substance. That is, not like liquid water or something, but it is tangible. It says, When the woman grabbed the hem of Jesus' garment, immediately virtue flowed out of that garment into her body and she was healed when people grabbed these handkerchiefs immediately virtue the anointing of the spirit would flow out of the handkerchief into the body and demon spirits had to flee because of the presence of god on the object paul prayed over that's powerful stuff y'all do you believe that pastor jeff well i believe of course i do okay okay so he says, I want to come to you. I'm longing to give you a spiritual gift. I, don't, I, uh, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have planned many times to come to you. But I have been prevented from doing so until now in order that I might have a harvest among you just as I have had among the other Gentiles. Now, do you notice something here with me? He was not afraid to tell the truth. What do I mean by that? Wouldn't you think it was kind of a bad confession to say, Man, I wanted to come to you, but I got prevented? And in another letter, he says, The devil stopped me. The devil hindered me. Now, there are some in our day that would say, Well, that's a bad confession. You ought not say that. What I like about Paul, he told you the truth. He was not hung up about, he, he did not split hairs over words like some do. He said, I wanted to come to you so many times. And I wanted to harvest among you. I wanted to see souls saved. And I wanted to give you spiritual gifts, impart to you spiritual gifts. But I couldn't get to you. That's honest. He said in verse 14 I'm obligated both to Greeks and non Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome. Now here's this man of God passes out handkerchiefs where people are healed. And he's tried over and over again, and he can't seem to get to Rome. So he had frustrations in his life. I don't know about you, but that encourages me. There's lots of things I've wanted to do. haven't been able to do them yet. Any of you want something you haven't gotten yet? All right. So it's not necessarily that anything's wrong. It's just that the timing hasn't been right. So he was subject to the timing of the Lord. So he sent this letter. And after thanking God for the Roman Christians, he informs them of his long-time uh, desire to visit them and his reasons for wanting to come. I've written down again. He wanted to share a spiritual blessing that would strengthen them. He wanted to participate in the gospel harvest in Rome. His motivation was totally spiritual, totally righteous, totally good. I want to come to you to bless you and to harvest souls. So I'm just waiting for the timing. But in the meantime, here comes a letter with Sister Phoebe. What a letter. Now, next he magnifies the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's what he says. And I want you all to read this with me because political correctness makes you want to be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Political correctness is muzzling the church. And I hate political correctness. Political correctness is killing us. It's killing America. It's killing the church it's killing our freedom. And before we read this out loud together, I was thinking today when I was going over this again, how you think it, you think the, the atmosphere and the environment they were in um, was not tough. It put to shame what we're in now. We think we're intimidated now. In Paul's day, they may take you, chain you, imprison you, kill you, martyr you, torture you. He admitted, I've become the offscouring of all things. We are the refuse of the world. We're treated like dirt everywhere we go, but we bless. So for them, every single day was a challenge to not be intimidated, to not let the spirit of fear close their mouths. Every day they had to tell themselves, Don't be afraid. Don't be intimidated. Speak up. Stand up. Tell people about Jesus no matter if you lose your life or freedom or not. Every single day. Every single day they look that in the face. That's why he said to Timothy, God hadn't given us a spirit of fear. That is the word for intimidation but of love, power and a sound mind which is from a Greek word meaning self-control. God hasn't given us a spirit of phobos of dread fear, but he's given us a spirit of power, love, and self-control. So he said, Timothy, quit being intimidated. Shake it off and start speaking up. And he did. And he was martyred one day. But look what he says. Let's read it together. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Stop right there. Why should you not be ashamed? Because if you tell it, if you tell it, and somebody lost can hear you, it's the power of God for their salvation. They might get saved. No wonder the devil wants to intimidate the church with political correctness, tell us that you can't judge other people, you can't tell them they're going to hell, you can't tell them Jesus is the only way, you cannot stand for what you really believe. No wonder, because it's the power of God manifested unto salvation if i'm the devil i don't want you saying the gospel ever and so what does god say i'm not ashamed of the gospel it's the power of god for salvation of everyone who believes first for the jew and then for the gentile and that be you any jewish people in here today 100 pure blood jew okay then we all gentiles in here all right then the gospel's for you too. Aren't you glad the gospel came to the Gentiles? Because you're a Gentile. All right. He says in verse 17, For in the gospel a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Hear me, church. He's saying the pathway to righteousness is in God's eyes before God is the gospel you cannot achieve righteousness any other way than what the gospel declares and what is it God so loved the world he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes on him would not perish but have everlasting life that's the Gospel in a nutshell. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. And when you get saved, what happens? God looks at you and says, righteous, justified, forgiven, redeemed, as if you never sinned. That's what it says. Now he, he, He's telling us about this Gospel that we preach at turning point and that anybody that's biblical preaches everywhere they go any church that's biblical preaches this gospel if they don't preach this gospel hit the track jack get out because this is the gospel and he's saying not only is the power of god to salvation but in this gospel we preach a righteousness the righteousness from god the way to be declared righteous is revealed that is by faith from first to last. How are you declared righteous? Faith in the finished work of Christ, first to last. It's not faith plus, it's not faith and, it's faith period. What does it say at the bottom of this passage? Preach it to me. The righteous will live by faith that's what martin luther had hit him right between the eyes and he went out and changed europe and the rest of history with it these passages strike to the core with incredible clarity the message of the gospel it is the saving power of god it is the power of god for the salvation of everybody who believes if you don't embrace the gospel you're not saved you can think you're saved you can try to act saved you might be religious but apart from the gospel you can't be declared righteous for in the gospel the righteousness of God is declared and the apostle is very clear that the gospel is not simply a display of God's forgiveness for sin it brings with it total deliverance from the result of Adam's sin did you catch that first we are say with me justified That means deliverance from the penalty of sin. Being set right with God. We are justified. Deliverance from the penalty. It's almost like before you're saved, there's a warrant out for your arrest. You're a wanted person. You're under judgment. You deserve hell. And when you get saved, the warrant is burned. And you're no longer condemned. And you are declared justified. Court is closed. You're free to go. You're never going to be behind bars because what you were under judgment for has been forgiven and erased. Do you see that tonight, church? Justified. Justified. So the penalty, and what was the penalty of sin? Hell. What was the penalty of sin? Eternal. Boy, y'all are subdued tonight. We're going to have to get a little more of. Uh, Let's try this again. The penalty for sin is what? Hell. That's the penalty. Hell. And when you got justified, hell's door was shut on you. Then we are sanctified, which means deliverance from the power of sin. We're not just delivered from the penalty, but we're delivered from the power of sin. Sin shall no longer have dominion over you. For you are no longer under law but under grace. So sin no longer has dominion over you. That means when sin says jump, you no longer have to jump. You have a choice in the matter. You can say in the name of Jesus, no. Before you're saved, you can't say no. But after you're saved, you're sanctified, which means you have been delivered from sin's power. And then third, glorified, which means deliverance from the presence of sin transformation into his likeness delivered from the penalty delivered from the power and delivered from the presence of sin when you got saved transformed into his likeness now what he's about to do is he's about to show us that all of mankind is under the wrath of god now i know we talk a lot about uh... uh, love and god's love and god is good all the time and that is true god is good all the time but church we've got to get to a place now where we understand something about god god is love but god is also holy do you hear me that means he can't be in the presence of sin it said god tempts no man to sin nor can he be tempted by sin God is absolutely, thoroughly, consummately, 110% holy. He can't, he can't be in the presence of sin. He must deal with sin because we live in a moral universe. This is not a random universe where you do whatever you want without consequence. We live in a moral universe. Are you ready? Because God is a moral God he is a holy god that means when sin goes unchecked god must deal with it now what happened on the cross is god judged sin in jesus christ he made him to be sin who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of god in him he made him to be sin on the cross jesus took our sin he was judged for our sin this is why he said my god my god why have you forsaken me why are you so far from the sound of my crying because God was judging him for sin he took your sins and my sins on himself took the blame took the guilt took the punishment he made him to be sin who knew no sin that we might in turn be declared righteous so he imputed which means to credit to your account. He credited to Jesus' account, your sin and mine. He credited to my account, his righteousness. That's powerful stuff. Now, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, the wrath of God is removed from you. But until you do, let's look at what the Bible says. Paul talks about the wrath of God and his judgment on sin. The wrath of God, verse 18, Romans 1. Look what he says. Read this with me, everybody. The wrath of God is being revealed. Does it say will be revealed? It says it is right now, present tense, ongoingly. The wrath of God is currently being revealed from heaven against all, what? The godlessness and wickedness of men. What do they do? They suppress... The truth by their wickedness. The best way I can think of suppress is you remember those jack in the box? ( இல) And then, poop, the jack in the box would come out. Remember that? And you had to push him back down in there and close that lid. You remember that? That's suppress. Let me ask you something. Is our culture suppressing? The truth, boy, every day in the media, you can just see them get back down in church, shut up, church, shut up, preacher, shut up, Franklin Graham, shut up anybody else, get back in there, but here's what God does from border, it comes right back out <laughs> I thought i put you back down in there, put you but no so we're in a battle every single day the culture trying to suppress the truth and god saying my truth will not be suppressed so if you push it down this way it's coming out another way but you're going to continue to hear the truth until i return now but here's what he's saying the wrath of god catch this the wrath of god is right now being revealed as we speak out there is being revealed I used to read that and say, well, how? Because I was used to thinking of wrath in the Old Testament sense. You know, earthquakes and lightning strikes and people being vaporized and all of this stuff. And I looked out there and I saw people living in sin, having, seemingly having a good old time. It didn't look to me like they were under wrath. But my Bible would say, the wrath of God is being revealed right now, present tense, against all the godlessness and wickedness of the men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. The Greek verb tense is the wrath of God is currently and ongoingly until Jesus comes again. It's being poured out. That doesn't sound like good news to me if I'm out there living in wickedness. Look at Romans 1. Well, Romans 1.19 through chapter 3 verse 20 is a lengthy elaboration. On that one statement, the wrath of God is being poured out on teenagers, on adults, on societies, on the rich, on the poor, on the black, on the white, on the yellow, on the red, on all mankind. The wrath is being poured out. And all the way through chapter 3, verse 20. He elaborates on that reality. Paul states that the revelation of God's righteousness in the gospel and the revelation of His wrath are continually taking place at the very same time. So you got these two things going on all the time. God's righteousness is being revealed at all times through the preaching of the gospel of salvation. His righteousness is being revealed. So you got that going on. And at the same time, God's wrath is constantly being revealed through His abandonment Of man to the consequences of his sinful choices. Now, let me tell you what occurred to me one day, and it's spookier than the earthquakes and the vaporizing of people, and fire and blood and lightning. I saw that the way his wrath is revealed ongoingly every day is he turns people over. To their sin and he turns cultures over to their sin and says okay you don't want me go for it and he lifts his hand you don't see it well you do but not as dramatically as old testament stuff but if you understand what it is you see it everywhere I can't tell you, there's not a day that goes by, I don't see someone on the news or out in real life where I don't say to myself, turned over. You don't have to look far in our culture. I'm going to tell you, I believe, I believe America is on the verge of being completely turned over if there's not a move of God in this culture. Well, Pastor Jeff, what gives you the right to say that? I'll show you. First of all, he starts out this way in verse 19. He says, let me tell you why God is justified in pouring out wrath. He says in verse 19, Since what may be known about God is plain to them. Who's the them? It's the wicked, the sinner. Since what is known about God is plain to them. It's not hidden from them, it's plain. Because God has made it plain to them what has he made plain for since the creation of the world god's invisible qualities and what are some of those his his eternal power his divine nature his very being have been clearly seen being understood from what has been what everybody made so that men are what say it with me without excuse they have no excuse how can they say when they face God well uh, I didn't know God will say no 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 you knew I made it plain to you right in front of you was this incredible creation that smacked of a creator you knew that evolution was a hoax you knew that was a bunch of rubbish you knew that that was something created but I was taught in school I made it plain to you I tell myself all the time when I think about God's judgment, Abraham said, Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? It's a rhetorical question, and it is this statement The judge of the, all the earth always does right. And so uh, when the mass of people meet God in judgment, he says they're not going to have an excuse because of what God made. They know they had that much light the lost pagan world had an opportunity to know God through his revelation of himself in nature the heavens declare the glory of God the firmament shows his handiwork day unto day they utter speech night unto night they show forth knowledge Psalms 19 1 and 2 uh, God says Paul has disclosed himself in nature man could even learn of his eternal power and deity by just looking at what he had made So they're without an excuse. Best example I know of this is my dad. My dad was a a, a member of the genius club Mensa. He was a very widely read, very um, intelligent guy. But he was as lost as a goose in a hailstorm. And I witnessed to him for years, years. I'm talking 15, 20 years. And he would always say to me something intellectual. Well, Jeff, I can't comprehend. He would say to me, "The atonement. I can't comprehend. I can't logic or reason my way through the atonement. So you know, I just I can't wrap my my genius brain around this. It has to make logical sense to me, and that doesn't make sense to me. And one day I was sitting at my. I'll never forget it. It's one of those defining moments. I was sitting at our kitchen table. Just me and him were in the house, and he had gone out back for something. He came in, and out of the blue, after 20 years or so of witnessing to him, he said, you know, that out there did not just happen. (laughs) I almost choked on my cream of wheat. (laughs) I said, oh, you know, I try to be cool about it. Oh, yeah. What do you mean, Dad? He said this, the squirrels, the trees, the birds, he said, that had to be made that's what he said and I thought you know I'd always pictured him going Jeff I'm convicted after your testimony pray with me but no a squirrel had to reach him (laughs) but I thought that's exactly what this is saying my dad went out there and it just occurred to him, there's no way this just happened evolutionary, in an evolutionary fashion. Come on. Don't make a monkey out of me. He said that had to be made. Now within a year or two, I did pray with him in the car and he gave his heart to Christ. And then just a couple years later, developed a form of cancer and, and he went to heaven. And I'm so glad that I know he did and what did it it was this it was the creation this is it's so obvious you cannot look at it and say this just happened the refusal to acknowledge him or render thanks to him brought judgment now I'm going to show you something three observations can be made here the first one God is the revealer and nature is the medium of his revelation if you don't hear the gospel God is the revealer, and nature is the medium of his revelation. Second thing, God's revelation in nature does not guarantee a positive response. Because you got people that will beat you to a pulp if you tell them evolution is a lie. What are they doing? Suppressing the truth. Third, God's revelation of Himself in nature establishes the minimal basis for every person's responsibility to Him. If you want to know what your minimum responsibility is to light, it is obviously God made this. Okay? The message in Romans is that people may respond to God's revelation in two ways. By faith or by rejection by a yes or a no. No is the answer of rebellion, whereas faith is a response of trust and commitment. My dad that day made a statement of faith. Somebody had to make that. Now we see in verses 21 to 22 of Romans 1, the first thing we see is here's man. What has he done? He suppressed the truth. He has rejected the testimony of nature and what springs up inside of him, what's the word there? Arrogance. Arrogance is revealed in verses 21 and 22. Look at what he says. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. Boy, are you on dangerous ground when that's your stance. When you don't glorify him as God and you do not give thanks to him, you have just created a spiritual vacuum in your life. Because if you don't do that, you're going another direction. And what is the direction? Futility. Their thinking became futile. And their foolish hearts were what, everyone? Darkened. When you push God out, suppress the truth, and refuse to acknowledge Him or worship Him or even say thank you to Him, you go this way and your heart is darkened. You plunge yourself into spiritual darkness, a spiritual night and it only gets worse from there the moment man refuses to glorify or to thank god darkness creeps in although they claim to be wise they became what fools the fool has said in his heart there is no god the claim to be wise drips with arrogance i'm wise i don't need god that's what our schools are doing right now there's a huge battle going on over texas textbooks right now atheists are wanting to take over the textbooks they want to revise history and they want to expunge the textbooks from every mention of God, Christianity, anything. What are they saying? We're too wise for God. What does God say to them? You're a fool. Because I know what's going to happen to you now. In rejecting the knowledge of God available in creation, people inevitably claim to be wiser than God. And you can, it just drips from the news media in so many so many areas in our culture today. And they exchanged. Look what they did. Everybody say the word exchange with me. Because we're about to see see three exchanges that changed their life. They exchanged what? The glory of the immortal God. Here's the glory of God. And what did they exchange it for? Images, idols made of wood and stone and steel. And what were they of? mortal man, idols of mortal man, images, statuettes, little statues of mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Now I want you to notice the decline. You start out making an idol that looks like a man. Well that's God's highest creation but then it descends. Then you're worshiping what looks like a bird. Then it descends more and you're worshiping four-legged animals but then it descends and now you're worshiping reptiles the only way you will go when you reject the knowledge of God is down into foolishness idolatry followed the refusal to acknowledge God as sovereign Lord notice the tragic decline in the idols they chose went over that already bird to animals and finally to reptiles one version even says insects now, what happened when they did this? God's judgment fell. Now, watch this. The first thing that happened was sexual impurity took over. Because when you reject God, there is a vacuum. You're going to fill the vacuum with something. He says, You turn to idolatry, you begin to worship things that are not God, and then God says, Now you're declining into foolishness. Let me tell you what's going to happen. Impurity was the first thing that took over. We are told three times in Romans 1 that humanity made a tragic exchange. Now watch this. In the first exchange, it was the worship of God for idols. The second exchange in verse 25, the truth of God for a lie. The third exchange, natural relationships for unnatural ones. See, when you say, I don't want what you have for me, God, i'm going to exchange it for this it's never a good business deal each time that they made an exchange it says god gave them over to their sinful desires read this with me this is a truth that's difficult but true god gives up those who give up him well, Pastor Jeff, what about grace and what about praying for somebody? Oh, I, I, I believe you should always pray for somebody to the day they die. But there comes a point, and I say this from studying the scriptures there comes a line in the sand when God is provoked over and over and over again, till finally God says, You give up me, I give up you. It's all over the Bible. So when is that? Only God knows. I can pretty well tell looking at Sodom and Gomorrah. We can pretty well tell looking at Jesus over Jerusalem, weeping over Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem. How many times I would have gathered you like a hand gathers her chicks, but you would not. Now, not one stone is going to be left on another. You're going to be scattered to the four winds of the earth because you did not know the time of your visitation and they were turned over there comes a point when God says it's no use anymore I could have grace I could show you grace for a thousand more years and you'd never turn so three exchanges and God gave them up three times that phrase is used God gave them over look what it says therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. What did they do? Verse 25, say it with me. They exchanged. Do you notice that exchange is a verb? Do you note here, and I'm going to go ahead and point this out, not many preachers will anymore. But this word exchanged settles the issue for me born this way. Because if I'm born this way, I have no choice. These people made an exchange, which is a verb, which means a decision of the will. Somewhere, sometime, they exchange. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And they started worshiping and serving what God created rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. So that's why I love to worship God, because that's the way we were wired. We're wired to worship God, not some dumb idol that can't speak or hear or answer prayers or anything. Okay? Well, y'all are grim tonight. I know this is heavy stuff. Say with me, Pastor, this is heavy. But isn't this the Word of God? I'm just reading to you the Word of God. Now, let's go on. People are free to receive or reject God's revelation. However, they are not free to do so without consequences. Verse 24 mentions the sinful desires of their hearts. When grace is lifted off of the human heart, only evil comes forth. Jesus said as much. He said, out of the heart come evil thoughts. Murder, which is an action, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. All of those are verbs, things you do. Slander, running other people down, ruining their reputations. That's Matthew 15, 19. Now next follows the second giving over. So they were given over to sexual impurity. Now watch this. The second giving over on God's part. Because of this, so there's a reason here. God did it. God gave them over to shameful lusts. Now, how did those shameful lusts manifest themselves? What did he mean, shameful lusts? Well, Paul is going to lay it right out for us. Sexual perversion. Look what it says. Even their women exchanged natural relations for what? Unnatural ones. Isn't it funny how the Word of God is totally contrary to the teaching of our culture? But what does it say? Let God be true and every man a liar. This is why our culture hates the Bible. Now let's read on. In the same way the men. So he's talking about women and men. In the same way the men. What did they do? They abandon. That's a verb. They abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Now, look at how God describes this. Men committed, say it with me, indecent acts. Not normal, not right, but indecent, unnatural. Contrary to what God created. There are places in America right now, if I read this, and they could get to me they would kill me. I'm not kidding. They would kill me. Or they would beat me sorely. For just reading this, men committed indecent acts with who? Other men. And receive what? In themselves the due penalty. The due what? Penalty. But if I'm born this way, it's just natural. God does not go with that. He said, it's unnatural, it's indecent, and there's a penalty for their perversion. Now, notice the adjectives God uses to describe the same sex, sexual unions. Unnatural, lustful, indecent, and perverse. If you're out there and you don't know the Bible, is that what you think about it? What are you being told out there as early as first grade in our culture now? you need to go experiment and find out if you are the other way, and if you are, it's fine. It's perfectly normal. Is that what God's word says? It says it's unnatural, it's lustful, it's indecent, and it's perverse, and there's a penalty you know. Our culture doesn't want anybody messing with their sex stuff. Anybody messing with their sexuality. Well, what right does God have to tell me or you have to tell me that i got to live this way sexually? Well, God made the car. And if He made the car to drive forward down the highway, then you can't get in it and drive it backward off a cliff. He made it. He made it. You know, you think, He made it. There is a context for sex. Since He's the maker of it, He can tell you what it's for. Well, my body's my own body. No, it's not, fool. Your body isn't yours. It's not either. (laughs) Fool? Who told you that? My body's mine to do with what I want. Well, we'll see if God agrees with that on the other side. Because He doesn't agree with you. It's not your body. You are bought with a price, therefore glorify God with your body. Your body is not your own. That's what it says. So our culture comes along and says, Oh, you do whatever you want with your body. No, that's not what God says. Now, Paul describes this sexual impurity as degrading their bodies with one another now these pastors make the following observations about homosexuality listen closely a church that will teach this is a fading breed ready homosexuality is an abandonment to shameful lusts verse 26 homosexuality is unnatural verse 26 homosexuality involves indecent acts verse 27 homosexuality is sexual perversion And it results in a serious breakdown for those involved. Verse 27. Well, Pastor Jeff, I was coming here until now. Now I know you're a right-wing, bigoted homophobe. I'm out. Let me address that just for a second. Think for a minute. Now, I have claustrophobia. Now, I'm getting better with it. But claustrophobia is a terrible thing. You get into a situation where this dread panic comes over you. It is torturous fear that you're enclosed in something you can't get out of. It's this terrible fear. You say, man, this is awful. The sooner you can get delivered from the fear, the better. That's a phobia. Some people have agoraphobia. They're terrified of leaving their house. Some people have acrophobia. They're terrified of flying. But you get somebody with a true phobia, they are tormented every second that passes. And then you're going to tell me I'm homophobic because I believe something is wrong? Does that mean that if I say theft is wrong that I have a dread fear of thieves? Or if slander is wrong, I get the shakes when a slanderer comes towards me? No, what this has been is a very successful propaganda campaign to to color you as a bigot and a prejudiced, uh, um, um, backwoods, snarly-toothed, snag-toothed, hateful, hate-monger. And that's how they're trying to paint you. But because I think something is wrong doesn't mean that I hate anything or that I have a dread fear of anything. I mean, if I believe theft is wrong, I'm a kleptophobe. If I believe murder is wrong, I'm a homicidophobe? No. I, the Bible says it's unnatural, indecent, and shameful. Oh, and it's 830. Let's stand up together. <laughs> I try to get through we'll, we'll finish it up. I don't think there's much left. It's the last part. Y'all can read it when you get home. The last thing they're turned over to is a, is a depraved mind. What does that mean? I can't judge between right and wrong any longer. That's what it means. I'm in a fog. I can't tell right from wrong, wrong from right. I have a depraved mind. All right, we'll go over the rest of it next week. How many of you needed this tonight? I, I'm just trying to. I'm just. I'm just trying to just teach it like it is. Kathy's looking. Did I go too long, Kathy? I, I'm okay. Very good, okay. I have cathyphobe. No, <laughs> I'm kidding. No, no, it's when she looks at me and says, oh, that was too long. I, her opinion matters to me. Uh, how many of you guys can say the opinion of my wife matters to me? Y'all better raise your hand. All right. Father, we just thank you right now for the truth of the Word of God, and we pray that you will bless it to our hearts. And thank you, Lord, for your word being truth. And we receive it tonight in Jesus' name. Touch our culture with a revival and deliver us from this slippery slope that we're on. Turn us back to sanity and reason in Jesus' name. Amen. Give him a hand of praise tonight.